Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And then a little later on, we find this. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Word of the Lord. Matthew 22:34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Colossians 3:22 through 24. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The very word of God. Oh yeah, wow! It's it's amazing, isn't it, to um, to hear these passages, which are so core to our understanding of the world around us, and to hear them again, especially in new light, in light of the Shema, in light of the greatest commandment that we would love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and all our strengths. Last week, we spent a little bit of time on that and, and invited you again to um, make that personal. How did you do? How did it go last week as you sought to love the Lord your God with all that you are, remember, all that you say and all that you have? Now, if you're like me, um, that was such a blessed thought for a little while. And then I went on with my life. I slipped back into that mode that I live in so much where uh, I, I don't think this, 
But the effect of it is like I was saying to God, um, God, thank you for your presence and everything, but I got this. If I really mess it up, I'll come pray to you and try and re-engage, right? Last week we said, there's another way. You can live moment by moment and day by day in the living presence of God, in the loving presence of God. It's fun to have Brian here today. One of the images that I have was a prayer that he prayed uh, at one point where he said, God, I just want to crawl up into your lap. I'm guessing that's still a part of your uh, thought processes and vocabulary. I thought, yeah, I get that. Sometimes I just want to say, God, I can't do this anymore. I just want to crawl into your lap and hear you say, you're my beloved son. I'm pleased with you. So we, we challenged ourselves last week to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the miracle of what happened last week was not that Jesus would say that is the first and foremost command. Everybody expected Him to say that. The miracle was when He tied that with Luke, excuse me, Leviticus 19 and, and added to it. And the second He said is like unto it that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we explored that, how hard it is for some of us to love ourselves and for, for some of us to, to um, believe that the very people that are surrounding us, not just our physical neighbors, we all have different scenarios we live in, not just our literal neighbors, but, but our, our fellow students, our, our co-workers, the people that are around us from moment to moment and day by day. We, we realize that God has loved us so that we might love ourselves and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Today, we want to take that just one, uh, one more step forward. And to do that, I, I've got to ask you about, um, about where you spend your time. Um, if you think about it, one-third of your life, roughly is spent asleep, being renewed. It's astounding what's happening physically, emotionally, spiritually, as we sleep. And and God said, this is so much, so important. I want you to rest one-third of each and every day. and, And I want you to take a day out of your whole week and rest and, and just revel in my presence. Uh, God, God knows us so well, He invited us to do that. But I want to ask you, what about the other 16 hours a day? Where do you spend that time? And, and with whom do you spend that time, right? And, and I guess over the next couple of weeks, we want to break that time into two great big chunks. Three, actually. Great big chunks. We want to, we want to think about, um, probably where many of you spend most of your waking hours, and that is in your workplace. Um, and, then, and then next week uh, on Grandparents' Day, by the way, we are going to um, talk about um, loving the people that we spend the time after that with, our, our families. And on the last week of the series, we'll talk together about actually loving our literal neighbors and how... How we can love this city, this city, Evansville, Indiana, for Jesus Christ. But today I want you to think about that four-letter word. Not that one, the other one. W-O-R-K, right? W-O-R-K. I want you to think about 
where many of you spend the bulk of your waking hours. Uh, now, I, I recognize that we have a lot of students in our midst. You say, well, I don't work. I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. You spend massive amounts of time with other people who are in classes with you, uh, at, your, at your academic institutions with you. I want you students to, to kind of say, my work might be right now to study and to uh, grow intellectually and socially. Um, so you might need to substitute that in there. But for many of the rest of us, I want to I challenge you to think about that place where you spend your creative energies, where you spend time. And, and I want to think today about loving your work. <laughs> A lot of us just go, man, I don't put those two words together very often, right? Do you remember the story? It's a famous story. I mean, it's probably apocryphal, but, but it's an awesome story about three bricklayers. Do you remember that? Um, and one of them just, just seems to be slopping the mortar on there and dropping his brick in place. Another one, another one seems to be um, more engaged. It's, it's like he's been much more intentional and, and much more careful. It seems like he's almost taking pride in, in that work. And there is another one who is just ablaze with, I don't know how to describe it, with glory. It's like he was made for bricklaying, you know. And, and, and someone went and said, went and said to the first one, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And, and, and in this apocryphal story, the person said, I'm, I'm laying bricks, right? Okay, that explains a lot. I'm, I'm laying bricks. They went to the second one and said, what are you doing? Remember, that one just seemed to have much more purpose. And he said, I'm building a wall, right? I'm building a wall. And, and, and you could see the palpable difference between those two people. There was that third person, and they went to him, this one that was just ablaze with like purpose and light and glory. And, and, and said, what are you doing? And though he was sitting on the same wall next to the other two, he said, I'm building a cathedral. I'm building a cathedral. Do you follow me? Do you, do you see where we're going with this? How you perceive what you do makes all the difference in the world. Is that not true? How you perceive what you do makes all the difference in the world. So let me ask you, right as we begin here, I know a lot of scripture went by just a moment ago. Let me ask you real quickly, you know, how do you perceive what you do? How do you understand it? How do you embrace it? How do you live with that? And I want to take it in light of the Shema. I want to take it one further step. Do you love your work? Now, wait a second. Where in the Shema did it say I have to love my work? I know this is a stretch. But if you spend upwards of 8, 9, 10, 40, 50, 60 hours a week um, at your work, then maybe, just maybe, your work, your work is that place where you are to love your neighbor. Right? Doesn't that make sense? 
Now, I got this later in the notes, and I'll echo it again when I get there, but about a half of you are going right now, well, phew, thank you, God, that I'm no longer working, right? Thank you. That, am I, did I make that up? Some of you are already there, right? You already checked out. You said, ah, good, this is for them. They really need this. I hope they're paying attention, Pastor Dave, because they really need this, right? But I don't. And I'm going to drop a hand grenade and run for cover. The hand grenade is this. Um, I don't ever find in Scripture a concept of retirement. Are you kidding me? Are you... What? Um, no, I'm not saying you need to do what you were doing until you die on the job, right? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that, that at different seasons of our life, God redirects and refocuses our work. Your work is not necessarily what you were paid to do for 30 years of your life, right? Um, mothers who were maybe stay-at-home moms, and praise God for you. I was blessed with one of those. Praise God for you. That's work, right? Why, why do the rest of us all, because that's too hard, right? Um, but what happens when the kids grow up? This is a little dear and dear to my heart right now, right? We just moved Matt and Alyssa into their first house. It's so cute. It's so cool. It's so sad. <laughs> he didn't need me anymore, right? Um, your moms and dads, to a certain extent that you understand, that was not your only work. It was for a season. It's what you did, and you did wonderful. And to a certain extent, you never stop being a mom or dad. Amen? But, but what now? What comes after? For those of you who are retired, what now? Um, work, biblically, never ceases. And so, whether you're a student, I want you to think about that as your work. If you're employed right now and, and, and doing 40 or 50 hours a week, um, I want you to think about that. But if you're retired, I'm going to challenge you and ask you to say, what is God's work for you right now? It's not the same as it was, but very possibly all of the days leading up to this were for this moment. God was preparing you for this moment. How are you going to love God's work in this season of your life. Wow, are you thinking, are you ever going to get to these notes? Because we're going to be here until two. Um, I am. I am. But I wanted to start with that question. Do you love your work right now? Now, it's an a, a incredible oversimplification. But, but there's kind of two conflicting ideas about work, right? Many of us see our work as a necessary evil of physical existence. Can I get an amen? Right? Um, uh, we, we are, uh, we're doing this, but we're not loving it, right? Um, we do this because we like to eat and we like to have a, a roof over our heads, right? And those kinds of things. We see it as a means to personal survival or sometimes pleasure. If I were to say to you, TGIF, what would you say to me? Thank God it's Friday, right? Some of us live for Friday. We survive the five days of work. 
just so we can get to the day when we really do what we want to do. There's this, there's this tension in, in that uh, for many of us, work is a necessary evil. But, but on the opposite side, there's this possibility that work is a source of happiness and personal fulfillment. Let me see if I can get an amen for that one. I was listening for the All of That staff members and I didn't hear them, but... <laughs> Work is, um, for many people, they come to find um, pleasure and even fulfillment. And, 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 and I just think that's, that's a part of this God-ordained thing. He meant for that to happen. The danger for us and the extreme for that perspective is that many of us find our identities then in our work, right? And... and and not in our belovedness of God, and not in the fact that we are children of God. So, so there's these conflicting ideas out there, and, and, and we live in both worlds depending on what day it is. But the Bible has an amazing perspective about work, and, and I only pray that, that somehow I can communicate to you just a small portion of that, because it's absolutely transforming if you get it. In fact, I need to stop and pray right now. Would you do that with me? God, anything I say here is meaningless if your Holy Spirit doesn't generate it and give it life. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts, God, would be acceptable to you. That in, in anticipation of this offering that you've given us, God, you would receive our words and thoughts as an offering um, pleasing to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me, let me um, go back to those verses. They went by fast. And uh, for some of us, they were new words. And they went by so fast that we didn't, we didn't necessarily grasp them. For others of us, they were so familiar to us that we clicked off. But here's the reality from this amazing 30,000-foot uh, Flight over Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The first is this, that God works. In fact, I'm going to say it stronger. God is working, right? Um, we saw in, in Genesis chapter 1 that God, and he self-identified as working. Now, his work was very different than ours. He said, let there be land, and there was land, right? Um, uh, but it was work. And he described himself as working for six days and then ceasing to work for a day. That's how he described himself in Genesis 1. Jesus, speaking much later, but but trying to communicate uh, the Father's heart, trying to justify why he was doing things that, that rules said shouldn't be done on that day of rest. Jesus said, my Father... Not did work for six days and then quit. Um, he said, my father is working. My father is working. And I am working too. Right? So, so God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works. Right? Now, you, you might not see this coming. But if God works and we are created in God's image, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, right? Um, and we're created. it makes sense then that, that, that work is not a necessary evil, but it's a part of the very identity of people made in the image of God. 
Now, I know I'm using this generic word work right now. We'll unpack it here in just a moment. But hold that thought with me. God is working. And so work comes from the one who himself is a worker, right? Who himself is a worker. He's not asking us to do something that he didn't do or he doesn't do. Work comes from the one who himself is a worker. And as such, then, work is God-ordained. We work because God intends for us to work. This isn't, this isn't just... The, the reason we went all the way to Genesis 1, so often we think of work as the consequence of our sin, right? Um, nobody ever worked in the garden, um, but then they messed up and God said, okay, your punishment now is that you've got to work, but that's not true at all. Work became hard as a result of our sin, right? Um, thorns and thistles, sweat of brow. I think it was Brian Red. Uh, but did you read the part? You hear the part before that, that that he put them in the garden to work it. To uh, and he uses different translations. I have different words there. To till it and to keep it, to cultivate it and to keep it, to protect it. Right. So so before the fall. Uh, God has set apart, I'm going to use that stronger word, ordained us to continue this work that he does. And we'll explore this more in just a few moments. So God is working. Work is God ordained. And it's only because of our rebellion against God, sin, right, that work no longer brings fulfillment and joy that God intended. I said that fast, um, but I want you to hear those words again because of our rebellion. Work no longer. There is a fulfillment and joy that is out there for you, beloved. In your work. In your work. All, uh, several of you are thinking right now, you don't know my work. And, and, and you're right, I don't. I'm saying rash statements without knowing your personal situation. But I take so much comfort from the fact that God knows your personal situation. He understands exactly what situation you find yourself in. But I wanted you to hear that it's because of our, my, your rebellion that work has lost its joy and fulfillment. But if that's true, here's the good news. If that's true, right, then because of our repentance before God, right, work can once again bring fulfillment and joy. And I would hazard a guess. I, I mean, it's hazarding a guess. I don't know that I'm not retired. I don't know what a retired person would say, but I do know a lot of people who come to retirement thinking that it's going to be, I've lived for this my entire life all of a sudden find something missing. All of a sudden there's something gone from their lives. There's a meaning and a purpose that's no longer there. And, and that's why I'm going to challenge you retirees. Work didn't end just because you retired from your job, right? Um, God still has very possibly your most important work is still ahead of you. Is still ahead of you. So work is God ordained, but it's because of our rebellion that it lost some fulfillment and joy, but because of our repentance that it can find that fulfillment and joy again. The Holy Spirit is prompting me right now. 
Um, if, if the Lord leads you, just, and you need to repent of your attitude towards your work. Um, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Do it for the joy. Do it for the fulfillment that is set before you. Crucify the old self. That person that said, take this job and shove it. Excuse me, the, the country song. Um, crucify that person. And, and believe for a moment that God can redeem your work. And that's my next point. Jesus has redeemed our work from the curse. Because Jesus Christ was crucified, he broke the power of the curse over you. No longer does rebellion guide your work life. Now, for the first time in human history, because of Jesus, um, you, your work can be redeemed. It can find meaning and purpose again. And the last of the big picture things here, for the Christian work is a gift of God then. Are you nuts? Um, Hold on. We're going to explore this concept of work. Work is a gift of God which can be done as service to Christ for the common good. Laura read Colossians 3.23. Many of you have memorized that, right? Uh, in beginning verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, I'm going, to, I'm going to translate here, but with sincerity of heart as a God-pleaser, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. Don't expect it from this job. From the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So if I can again, make a rash generalization just to get you thinking, to get you to go back into God's Word and explore it for yourself. I'm going to make this rash statement to say the Lord has purpose for your work. The Lord has purpose for every person's work, right? So as I'm so prone to do, maybe what I've been trying to do most of my life is answer the wrong question. I've been trying to answer the question, do I love my work, when maybe, when maybe, there's a different one. Last week we heard Jesus affirm that the greatest thing that we can do is love God with all that we are, all that we say, all that we have, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, our Matthew 22 passage. So maybe, just maybe, the real question is not, do I love my work? The real question is, am I both loving God and my neighbor through my work. Through my work. Is it possible that, that there's a greater question that can transform how I look at what I do? It's not do I feel love for my work, but rather do I choose? Do I choose to love God, myself, and my neighbor through my work? There's where I was going to talk about retirement for just a second. Those two words are repurposing. There's no retirement. There's just a repurposing and a refocusing of your energies. So what do I do if 
I don't love my work. I appreciate so much your integrity. Christianity is not about all of a sudden putting on this mask and saying, oh yeah, happy, happy, joy, joy. I'm already there. No, no. The reality is many of us are in a situation where we don't enjoy our work. We're not finding personal fulfillment through our work. What do I do if I don't love my work? I've got great news for you. You can talk to God about it. You can ask God to change your perspective. God, help me see your word. Help me see my work in light of your word. Change my perspective, God, about what I'm doing. Am I, am I laying bricks? Am I building a wall? Am I building a cathedral? Um, help me change my perspective about what I'm doing. In our Sunday school class, we were reminded um, Stephen Baldwin, an, an actor, brother of Alec Baldwin, I think, um, when he was a non-believer, he had a, a maid. Um, many of you have seen this testimony on IamSecond.com. Uh, he had a maid, and uh, and uh, the maid was a great maid. She did a good job cleaning his bathrooms, toilets, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, the problem with the maid was that she sang, and she sang Christian songs all the time, right? She kept singing Christian songs. And finally, after several weeks of it, he came to her and he said, <clears throat> is it possible that um, you know any other songs? You know? <clears throat> is it possible that, that, that you can sing an, another song besides all these Christian songs? And I'm shortening the story. <clears throat> but she said to him, you don't think I came here to clean your toilets, do you? You see, was she laying bricks? Was she building a wall? Was she building a cathedral? She had a vision for this I try to think of an adjective. Messed up man's life. Where he would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if the way for her to participate in building that cathedral was to clean his toilets, then so be it. But she's going to do it with joy. She's going to do it not for Stephen Baldwin, right? But for the Lord her God. And obviously, if he's giving this testimony and I am second, he got the message. And, and Stephen Baldwin entrusted his life to Christ. So let me ask you again. Um, you can ask God to change your perspective about what you do. To put it another way, um, is what you do a job? And I'm thinking about job where you do something to earn money so you can do something else. Is it a career where you have come to understand that the best thing I can do is, is build this wall for my family, to be a rock for my family, and to, to have the stability and, and this career that provides for myself and others in the future? It, it's not a job now. Uh, it, it's a career, and that's beautiful. But God had a different word from it, for it. Excuse me. Um, he uses the word vocation. Have you heard that word? Oh, yeah, they have schools for that, don't they? Like vocational schools. Do you hear in the word vocation, um, vocalize? Do you hear that word? Right? Vocation means now not job, not career, but calling. But 
calling. In other words, it's a statement of faith, but, but God, we saw earlier, has a purpose for your work. And as you discover that purpose, as you hear that voice, as you invest your life in that calling, even if nobody else around you recognizes or respects it, then you have found that sweet spot where God is going to be glorified and you are going to be blessed. I've said it so many times and I get tired of hearing it, but it's such a powerful influence in my life. Frederick Buechner, a Presbyterian pastor, but really a poet, written countless books, um, said vocation uh, is that place where your greatest joy, I love that, and the world's greatest need meet, right? That's the calling of God. Oh, it's articulated hundreds of different ways, right? It, in Scripture, uh, um, Malachi, right? Six, God, God speaks about what we're to do to, to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our, there's so many ways of articulating but it's all talking about the same thing it's talking about that purpose for which you were created it's talking about that calling for which god has has reached out to you we saw we've seen glimpses of what that looks like uh, part of that calling is loving the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength part of that calling is loving your neighbor as yourself Part of that calling is making disciples who make disciples, right? We know that's our calling. What will that look like in that unique place where my joy and the world's need meet? One other way of thinking about this comes from Genesis, and that is that I'm stumbling because I just thought of another one. I was about to say everyone does one of three things. Um, but it's really one of four things. Everybody is either um, creating something. It might be a relationship. It might be um, uh, a reputation. It might be a widget. It might be a, a, a path that is going to bring life to other people. But everybody's either creating something or they're, to use the Genesis word, cultivating something uh, creating a different way of looking at life, uh, creating a culture uh, of, of Christ-centeredness. Everyone's either creating or cultivating something or, or very possibly they're consuming something, right? We were, we were laughing about the movie. I know I'm dating myself when I quote these Disney movies, but um, I think it was Disney. Um, do you remember the movie Wally? Do you remember that? Isn't that the cutest little thing? Um, Wally, uh, and, and it's been a long time since I thought about it, so forgive me if I stumble over this. Wally um, was a robot that was created to clean up humans' mess on Earth. Humans had destroyed the Earth, and tra- literally trashed it. They created a bunch of robots to clean it up while they went off on this spaceship and floated around until the job was done, right? And, 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 and Wally was busily... Um, was busily renewing the face of the earth, sticking some biblical language in there, right? And then he encounters someone, something. Do you remember that? Help me. Anybody remember? This cute little robot. I, I didn't know robots could be like male or female, but it seems like um, he meets this cute little robot. Do you remember her name? Eva. Eva. Does that sound familiar? 
Isn't that amazing? Um, and, and Wally begins this journey of finding fulfillment now, in not only in what he does, but in who he's related to. The, the fascinating thing about that movie, as I began reflecting on it last evening, was, was, did you see what happened to the humans? Right? Did you see what happened to them? Uh, they, they were in these electric um, barca loungers or uh, elect, electric lazy boys, and they just cruised around the spaceship with a self-articulating cup holder right there holding their 44-ounce soda, right? And, and, and just indulging themselves while they waited. They just became the epitome of a consumer. Uh, uh, it's cute, but it's tragic, right? Because that's a choice that we make. I can just try and take from this life everything. And again, it's starting to break into country songs here. Um, I take from this life everything that it can throw at me and offer me and try and carve out the best possible life for myself. That's a consumer. Or I can fulfill my God-given purpose to be something that creates beauty. Someone who creates beauty. Someone that cultivates other people, other relationships so that God is glorified. So that God is made um, made wonderful, made beautiful in other people's eyes or I can consume. And you said, well, didn't you say you had like a fourth one? And I said, yeah, and it's the one that you're in right now. And I'm sorry, but it has to start with a C. And it's, it's a disease, but um, it's that you're considering which of those three you'll become. Are you going to be a consumer all your life. Maybe, just maybe, carve out a comfortable place for yourself, but the reality is God can blow that away in a heartbeat. And many of us have experienced that. Everything we've invested in for 20, 30, 40 years of our lives is taken away in a heartbeat, right? Are you going to be a consumer or are you going to be a cultivator? Are you going to be a co... Uh, this sounds blasphemous. Hold on to your shorts. A co-creator with God, right? He created the world, right? He created two, count them, two human beings, right? And said to them, procreate, right? Said to them, go create culture, go create babies, go do something wonderful. I'm going to give you this treasure of my literal physical creation, the earth, and I want you to cultivate that and make something beautiful out of it. But every single one of us has to make that choice. And many of us, are in the, in the choice-making phase right now, we're considering what the balance of our life will be. So I really want to encourage you. What are you doing? Ask God to change your perspective on it. Ask Him to, to change why you do what you do. If it's just for a paycheck or career success, ask Him to change that, right? Instead, let Him, let him make it a contribution. Let me use a different word. An offering. Make your work an offering to God. And maybe, just maybe through your creating an abundance, you're cultivating a, a, an amazing harvest of blessing. Other people will be blessed as well. And you'll help meet the needs of others. God challenged us. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Let's, let's get on board with God's plan. Let's look differently about why we do what we do. And the, and the punchline, because I'm so slow of heart to change and so dull of eyes to see and so deaf of ears to hear when God is screaming at me through his, 
his word, it's so much easier for me to see this as the author of the book of Hebrews saw it, to say this is a race and, and, and I'm going I'm to run with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, but I'm going to fix my eyes on the back of this race. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus who's at the finish line, right? I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Think about who you're doing it for. Right? You are serving, Paul said, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just bombard you with some thoughts and just jot them down and then pray over them and say, how do I do this? God, where can I begin today? And I want to think specifically now about our work. How can I look at my work differently? How can I begin to love my neighbor through my work? I'm blessed to have co-workers from two different venues that I work in uh, here today with us. It means honoring. It means honoring your co-workers. Treating them with respect and dignity and value. Do you remember the story of the abbot who said to his, his warring monks... You know, um, one of you is reflecting the image of Jesus, right? And they started to treat each other differently. If we took Matthew 25 seriously and said, whatever we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus. If we saw people different, we would honor them. Automatically, we would honor them as precious creations of God, as Jesus in the flesh. Honor them. Treat them with respect, dignity, and value. Pray for them. Pray for them. For them, I, I'm um, a two-hour-a-week employee at Hamilton Point, and I can tell the difference when I go in that day and I forget to pray in advance. I do three different little services there, and I forget to pray for the people that I'm about to to speak to and to love on. It makes all the difference in the world. Pray for your coworkers, and and, and what's going to happen as you do that? As we did last week with several of our people going through trials. Uh, you start to rejoice with their little victories. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go there. Wow. Um, um, remember when your kid was a child and you celebrated the little victories? Yay! Yay! She used the toilet. Yay! Right? We, we, we rejoice with them. And, and as we pray for them, our hearts get knit with theirs. And we, when, when they have a, a pain and brokenness, we weep with them. Right? Um, honor them, but pray for them. Uh, here's a hard word for some of you. Submit to your employer as if they were Jesus. Submit to them. There's such a beauty when, when someone says, I don't have to prove myself to you. God has put you in leadership over me. I'm just going to trust that, that that was his sovereign design. And I willingly submit. This doesn't mean that you don't offer wonderful suggestions. It doesn't mean that you don't try and make that, that job and that, that workplace the best possible place it can be. That, that's not averse to, to submitting. But it's saying, I don't have to be number one here. My needs are not first and foremost. I'm going to trust God who put me here at this place at this time. And then, then lastly, it means working with excellence on tasks and minute details, various projects that you do. It's, it's doing what you do, whatever it is, for the glory of God instead of 
for your own personal satisfaction. It's very possible that you're not an artist like uh, Michelangelo or a businessman like Warren Buffett. Um, maybe, maybe you're a waitress in a small town and it feels like you're working in obscurity, right? You are not. Your work has meaning and purpose. And the way you do what you do, even if it's providing food for a table, even if it seems seemingly menial task like cleaning toilets, the way you do what you do shows your love for God. Maybe, maybe you're a barista, right, who enjoys making coffee. Do it in a way that honors Jesus. Maybe you're an executive of, of a corporation. As you express your love for your coworkers, as you, as you immerse yourself in their lives and love them in Jesus' name, as you honor them justly with what, what they need, as you, as you deal with them with integrity, Jesus Christ is glorified. Maybe you're into painting or singing or writing. Do it in a way that brings glory to God. It's such a joy. Maybe you're into, are you ready for this? Maybe you're into striping a parking lot. Right? And thought of that one, had you? But Saturday, there was a team of people out here. There were people jackhammering parts of the parking lot. There were people um, in the heat of the day putting up a, um, not a not a brick, not a wall, but a playground for children. Um, do it. Do it for the glory of God. You were made to work. You were made to reflect the image of God. You were made to reveal the love of God for people and to love them in Jesus' name. Pray with me, would you? God, uh, you've challenged us and, and even now, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to blow through our lives. God, if there's anything I've said that's a distraction from your purpose, I just pray that you blow it away like chaff. But God, if there's anything in your word that you are speaking to us, I pray that it would take root and grow and bear fruit and multiply, God, 30, 60 a hundredfold. God, we have often looked at our work as, as a necessity. Help us to see it as a joy. God, help us to offer our work lives, whether it be retirement or, or a season of productivity or a season of preparation like students. Let us offer to you our work lives as a sweet-smelling sacrifice pleasing to you. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that you offered your life as an offering for us to God. Thank you that because of what you did, we have a relationship with the living God. Because of what you did, God, the curse is broken and joy and fulfillment are our future. So I ask you to do a miracle Jesus, even now, take this simple bread and make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. 
take the simple juice, God, and, and make it the blood of Christ which cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness. And God, as we come forward by faith to the simple bread and the simple juice, meet us here and fulfill Your Word and pour out Your grace upon us. And God, we will give You the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Will our servers please come forward? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And I like to think, I'm so grateful for our team that, that um, prepares these elements for us. I'd like to think it was very much like this. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, with what we believe was the cup of redemption, there's that word again, right? He, he said, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. You broke the old one. I understood that that's why I came. There's no judgment or condemnation for that. There's only invitation to a new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. From this day forward, you can live differently. From this day forward, you can experience joy and fulfillment. Do this. All of you, he says in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul, again, who helps us so much understand mysteries that are too deep for us to understand, says, even by this act, even by this simple act of coming to the table of the Lord, you proclaim the Lord until He comes. I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. We're going to do this today by distribution, which means we're going to bring the elements to you and we invite you to, to hold the bread until such a time as you are ready. And then by faith to partake of it. Excuse me, I said that wrong. No, I got it right. Uh, partake of it as if, as if this is just about you and, and God. Because in this mystery I don't completely understand. God who loved the whole world loves you and wants a relationship with you. So commune with Him. And then as, as, as the cop comes around... We ask you to hold that because God did come just for you. But, but He also came for His body, the church. And withhold that if you would and we'll take that cup together. Fair enough? God, we love You. Meet us in this place now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.